0: As we enter this Christmas season, we start to think about the meaning of Christmas and what it's all about. We start to think about the traditions and the decorations. We start to remember probably even childhood memories. This is a special time. And for many of us, it's a special time. And uh, One of the things that characterizes the season of Christmas is giving. Christmas is a season of giving. One of our great traditions is the giving of gifts at Christmas time, and I I think that probably the foundation of that is the greatest gift of all, which was the gift of Christ. In that God in the giving of his son gave the most precious gift that could be given. And what I'd like to do during this Christmas season over the next few weeks is just to focus on that, focus on the gift that is Christ, that God gave to us. And this morning, I want to focus on the motivation for that gift, which is love. That God, motivated by love toward us, gave us the gift of Christ. I remember when I was a kid, I would get excited about gifts. I would get excited about presents. And my excitement started in September when the new Sears catalog came out. You all remember that? Seems like forever ago, there used to be a Sears catalog. It was an annual tradition, the the wish book that came out in late August, early September. Whenever my birthday was done, because my birthday's in August, I would get I would start thinking about that. Okay, anytime in the mail now, in the next few weeks, that that catalog is going to show up. And I would go immediately to the back section, right? I didn't care about all the clothes and all that stuff in the front. I'd go to the back section because that's where the toys were in the back section. I'd go to see, okay, what's new this year? Because we didn't have internet, right? (laughs) You couldn't get on the internet and see, okay, what's new this year? You had to wait for people to send it to you in the mail. So I would look in the catalog and see what what was new this year. What do I want? What do I want to get for Christmas? And you start to get excited about gifts and what what you were hoping to get that Christmas season. And sometimes we can get caught up in the getting of Christmas, but really the focus at Christmas is the giving, isn't it? And that tradition, if you will, started with God giving us Christ, the greatest gift that could ever be given. And I was starting to think about this theme And my mind was immediately drawn to John 3.16, which is probably the, the most famous verse in all the Bible. For God so loved the world that He gave, right? He gave. And what did He give? He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And we can see right away from that verse that almost everyone knows or has heard of at least one point in their lives, that the motivation for the gift is love, isn't it? God so loved the world. He loved the world in this way, or He loved the world this much, that He gave His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want to focus on that for a few moments this morning. And and first of all, as we think about the gift of Christ, before we focus on the fact that it was motivated by love, I want us to consider that the gift of Christ was not motivated by certain things. And just a few of those for us to consider this morning. One, the gift of Christ was not motivated by obligation. The gift of Christ was not motivated by obligation or duty. You know, sometimes we feel that obligation to give a gift if somebody's birthday comes around, I should get them a card, right? Or uh, some, Christmas comes around, I, I really should send out a Christmas card or, or I should get this person a gift. Uh, sometimes we can be motivated just simply by a sense of civic duty or sense of obligation that uh, this is something we should do, and so we do it. That, that's not the case with God. God was under no compulsion whatsoever. God was under no expectation there were no social customs that said, here's what, you, here's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to give a gift at this time." There were no, no expectations, no customs that God was abiding by, no, ex, no duty or obligation God simply gave, didn't he? So there was nothing in other words, there was nothing external to God that motivated God to give. Nothing external to God. The whole motivation for the gift arose from within the heart and the mind of God Himself. No external compulsion or motivation at all. So, not not motivated by obligation or duty. God was certainly not motivated by indebtedness. If it were motivated by indebtedness, it really wouldn't be a gift, would it? If it was indebtedness, then it would be a repayment. But God doesn't owe us anything, does He? Paul says in Romans 11, we, we've seen this fairly recently in Romans. Romans 11, verse 34. Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been His counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? Who's ever given to God that God is under any kind of sense of indebtedness to repay them back? None. God's, God's not under any kind of indebtedness. Nobody's ever given to God to put God in their debt. God didn't have to give because he was in debt to us. Certainly, God was not motivated by our merits or our worthiness, was he? You know, sometimes people are loved because they're lovable, people are loved because they're lovely. Attention is drawn to people because of their beauty or their talents, their achievements, whatever they have accomplished. God's attention was not drawn to us because of our beauty. God's attention was not drawn to us because of our talents. God's attention was not drawn to us because of our achievements or how great that we were. God loved us simply because he chose to love us. We read in Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 through 9, speaking of God's love for the Old Testament Israelites, Moses writes, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be His people, His treasured possession. The Lord did not set His affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath that he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Moses says of God, he didn't love you because you were great. He didn't love you because you were a large nation, because you had accomplished so much, because you were a strong military power, because you were wealthy. No, you were few in number. You were small. God loved you just because he decided to love you. He wasn't motivated by any merits or worthiness in Israel at all. And speaking of us, certainly God was not motivated by any sense of worthiness in us. We read in the scriptures that we are sinners. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's no worthiness in us that God would love us. He's not motivated by our good works. Titus 3.4 and 5 says, but when the kindness and love of God, our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So he was not motivated by our worthiness, our good works. He was under no obligation. He was under no sense of indebtedness. God chose to love. And so that brings us then to the true motivation. God wasn't motivated by us, how great we were. He was motivated by himself, wasn't he? By his own love. And so the gift of Christ was motivated by love. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave. I just want you to think about what that verse says for a moment. For God, who is God? God is eternal. He is infinite. He is perfect. He is holy. He is completely righteous. He is the creator of the universe. Everything belongs to God. There is no ounce, no sense of evil or wickedness or darkness in God at all. He is complete, 100% pure light, pure righteousness, pure holiness, pure goodness, and pure truth. And yet it says that God loved the world. What kind of a world was that that God loved? It was a sinful one, wasn't it? When John, when the, the, when the apostle John, the writer of the Gospel of John, when he speaks of the world, generally he speaks of the world as this system of sinfulness. A, a world, a people that are bound to sin and darkness. And it's that world that world of sin and darkness and rebellion that God loved. And loved to such an extent, he says he so loved, loved the world to this extent that he gave his only begotten Son. So God was motivated by love to give the gift of Christ And I just want us to think about the love of God for a few moments this morning. Thinking about how this love of God expresses itself to us in the gift of Christ. First of all, we have to think about the fact that love is a fundamental attribute of who God is. Love is a fundamental attribute of who God is. So... When, when God is giving the gift of Christ to us, and it is motivated by love, in other words, it is, it is coming out of the essence, the very essence of who God is in his being. Because love is at the core of who God is. Really, all of his attributes, right? You can't separate one attribute from another in God. You can't say, over here is God's holiness, and over here is his love, and over here is his righteousness. All of God's attributes meld together into the unity of who God is, such that you can't separate them out. If you were to take away any one of the attributes of God, he would no longer be God. They are all bound together as a a simplicity, as a unity. And as a part of that, divine essence is love. Listen to what God said to Moses in Exodus 34. Exodus 34, verse 6 and verse 7. This is the time when Moses asked God if he could see His glory. If he could see God. And and God said, you can't see my face and live, but I will allow a portion of my glory to pass over you. And Exodus 34, 6 and 7 is the declaration of God, the declaration of who God is in his very essence as that glory passed over Moses. And here's how God defines himself. He says, the Lord, the Lord... The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So clearly, justice, judgment is a part of who God is, but also at the core of who He is, is a compassionate and loving and merciful God. And if you go through the scriptures, you will find this definition, this description of who God is, you will find it many, many times repeated throughout the scriptures in the Psalms, in the prophets. This is one of the defining statements in the whole Bible of who God is. He is a God who is abounding in love and maintaining love to thousands of those who love him. God is defined by love. We read in 1 John 4, verse 8, that God is love. God is love. And so when God gave the gift of Christ, he was motivated by a sense of who he was in the core of his being, wasn't he? He is a loving God. And so because God was not motivated by anything outside of himself, that means that God's love was self-motivated. It was self-initiated, self-given. It was also unconditional. Unconditional. God's love is unconditional. It wasn't, wasn't based on anything in us. In fact, it was given in spite of us, in spite of who we are. Romans 3, 10-12 reminds us of our sinfulness. It says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even One. And then in chapter 5 and verse 8, it says that God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still the people of Romans 3, 10-12, all of those who have gone away, done our own thing, no one who seeks after righteousness, no one who seeks good, no one who does any good at all, That is when God sent Christ to die for us, while we were still sinners. God's love is unconditional, not based on who we are or what we have done. God's love is sacrificial. We can see that in John 3.16, can't we? God's love is sacrificial, that He gave the most precious gift that He could have given in His only begotten Son. if you were to think about the greatest gift that you could give, if somebody were just to walk up to you and say, what is the greatest gift that you could possibly give? Our minds would probably immediately go to our greatest possession, right? You know, maybe, the, maybe all of our money, our house, the greatest gift that we could maybe our own lives even, that we would lay down our lives and sacrifice ourselves. Probably none of us, the very first thing that would come to our mind would be to give the sacrifice of our only child. That wouldn't even enter into our minds, would it? And yet God the Father gave His only begotten Son that we might be saved. That is sacrifice. It's the greatest sacrifice that was ever given. Jesus says in John 15, verse 13, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Ephesians 5 verse 2 says that Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So in God giving the gift of His Son, it was also the Son in willingness giving Himself, wasn't it? So God the Father gave, but so the Son also in harmony with the Father willingly gave up Himself to the death of the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So in God giving the gift of His Son, He wasn't just giving Him to a hard life. He wasn't just giving Him up to the sacrifice of death. He wasn't even just giving Him up to a cruel Roman cross kind of death. He was giving Him up to the bearing of our sins upon Himself kind of death. As 2 Corinthians 5 says, to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. It was a sacrificial love. It was certainly a, a generous, magnanimous love, wasn't it? John writes about that in First John chapter three, when he says, "See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God." It's almost as if when John is writing that in First John chapter three, that it, it, it's almost mind-blowing to stop and think and consider the fact that God has so lavished His love on us that we, sinners, could not only be forgiven, could not only be declared innocent and not guilty, but then to be adopted into the family of God and be declared sons and daughters of God. It's just incredible, isn't it? I mean, it's almost like, and again, all analogies when it comes to God break down at some point, because God is infinite and he is perfect, all analogies break down. But it's almost like a judge sitting there before a convicted criminal, a convicted murderer and violent criminal, and saying to him, I forgive you based on this other person, this other innocent person willing to give his life for yours. I forgive you. Not only that, why don't you come into my house and become my son? our minds can't even hardly wrap around that concept can they and yet god said that to us i forgive you i declare you innocent on the basis of my son jesus christ and now come into my family become my son and daughter and come into the kingdom that i've prepared for you it's just you can't you can't hardly even comprehend it god's love is generous god's love is never ending Romans 8:38 and 39. We read about God's never-ending love. Paul writes in Romans 8:38, "For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord." God sets his love on us out of pure, divine, sovereign grace. And there is nothing in the world that can remove that love from us. Nothing. And Paul goes out of his way to make sure that he includes every possible thing that could be included in what might separate us from the love of God. He says, neither height nor uh, depth. In other words, the highest height in heaven that you can think of, the lowest depth that you can think of in the, in the deepest part of the earth, there is nothing in all of that gap in between that can separate us from the love of Christ. Neither death nor life, that pretty much encompasses it all, doesn't it? You're either dead or you're alive. Neither death nor life can separate you from the love of Christ. Neither the present nor the future. That pretty much also brings into it the possibility of those who espouse a free will theism, who say, well, you can separate yourself from the love of Christ, but that's assuming that you do something in the future, right? That would separate you from the love of Christ. But this says not anything in the present nor anything in the future can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Nothing present, nothing future, not, nothing in all of creation, just to make sure he doesn't leave anything out. Nothing in all of creation, no powers. And by that, he brings into it the supernatural realm, the unseen realm of angelic powers that we can't see. Nothing seen or unseen, height or depth, life or death, past, present, or future, anything in all of creation, none of it can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ. It's never ending. Which is why we read in Psalm 136, verse 1, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And as you read that Psalm 136, you read that phrase, his love endures forever, every single verse throughout that whole Psalm. As a continual, repeated refrain, just just an incredible emphasis on the abiding, faithful love of God for his people, that it never ends. God's love is sacrificial, it is self-motivated, it is generous, it is never-ending. What a great gift has been given to us in Christ. And I want to say more, but I've got to leave room for next week's message too, right? Because I'm going to be focusing on the gift of Christ for the next few weeks. And so this morning our focus is on the love of God. This is what motivated it. What motivated it is not us. What motivated it is God and His own love for us. Praise God. Praise God. And so this Christmas season, give thanks and praise and sing and rejoice in the love of God. As the hymn writer says, if I could fill the whole ocean with ink, If the whole sky were a parchment, if every tree, if every stalk on earth were a pen or a quill, could not contain the love of God. You can never cease to write about and sing about and praise about the love of God. And we'll have the chance to do it for all of eternity because of that love of God. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father of grace and love, we thank you so much for an incomprehensible, infinite love. A love that we can only hope to emulate in a very finite way in our relationships as human beings. You've called us to love one another. You've called us to love sacrificially. You've called us to love our enemies. You've called us to bless those who persecute us and to forgive those who do evil to us. And all of that, Lord, has been modeled by you at an infinite level in the giving of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for loving us first. Now, Lord, help us to love you in return and help us to love our neighbors as ourselves. We just want to thank you and praise you today, Lord, for the gift of your love and the giving of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for him. We thank you for his life. We thank you for his death on the cross of Calvary. We thank you for his resurrection from the grave. We thank you for his uh, everlasting intercession for us. And so, Lord, may you receive all praise and honor today for your redeeming grace. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.